Sex Like This listeners. Hi there. We're giving away six Bluetooth speakers to six listeners. These custom Sex Like This Thumpa speakers are small but powerful. With a 33-foot wireless range and four hours of playtime and they're water resistant. To win one, head to sexlikethis.com, click on the giveaway at the top of the website, and answer this week's question. What mental illness did Mark overcome in episode two? There are a few, so pick the one that resonated most with you. And don't forget to follow at Uncomfortableism for show updates on Twitter. Let's start the show. I had quite a bad flare-up mid-date, and I was quite scared. It's the first time that's really happened to me on a date. And I just kind of turned and said, I don't want to scare you, but I think I might pass out. Um, and I very, very quickly did a brief rundown of like, I have this illness, it causes me to do this thing. I need to sit with my head between my legs quietly and there's a chance I'm gonna pass out. Could you please make sure my head doesn't hit the pavement? And he just went, yeah, that's fine. There are over 7 billion people on the planet. And most of us are looking for love. So if we couple off, you know, unless you come up with a more interesting arrangement, that means there are theoretically about three and a half billion people in the world that could be the one for you. And counting. So with all of these options, why do we always hear the same love stories? The cookie cutter storybook version of what it's like to fall in love is told over and over again. Well, friends, that stops here. You're listening to Sex Like This, a podcast brought to you by Uncomfortable Revolution about sex and dating with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, health journalist Nicole Edwards. Abby has been experiencing the symptoms of her chronic illness since she was a little kid. When she hit puberty, the symptoms got a lot worse, and she spent a long time figuring out exactly what was happening to her. That's because, as you're about to hear, the symptoms were really strange. Some people call it Alice in Wonderland syndrome, of just a feeling that nothing is quite right. Um, but it's incredibly hard to explain how that feels unless you've kind of had it yourself. It's a feeling of being completely out of your own surroundings, a bit like if you were in a dream. If you in, in a dream, if you become aware that what is happening isn't reality, that's how I felt in reality for most of the day, every day, for about 10 years. By the time Abby was 14, her symptoms had taken her even deeper into Wonderland. She had dizzy spells, she fainted a lot. Her mom got worried and took her to see a doctor. I knew in my heart that it was a physical thing that was happening to me. But they often were trying to frame it as, you have an eating disorder, or you're depressed, or you're stressed. Because I would say things like, oh, it happens when I eat. And instead of taking that as a physical reaction, they took it as you're having kind of some kind of uh, psychological reaction. And I suppose being a teenage girl, it's, it's not unreasonable for them to think that. But they were kind of not keen to pursue many other lines of inquiry. And they would just constantly ask me about school and pressure and my home life. And of course those things are all stressful because you're 14 and everyone's stressed. It's like a horrible time, you know, a lot of the time. But I, I find it really difficult to say to them, yes, those things are stressful, but that isn't what this is. So then I started to be quite scared about describing some of the more mad things that were happening because I just thought, well, they're not going to believe. If they don't believe dizziness, they're not going to believe that I feel like I'm trapped in a nightmare I can't get out of. And they're not going to believe that I look in the mirror and I think my head's too big. Like that, 
then I just shut down a little bit from really telling people what went on, even including my mum. Like, it's only been the last couple of years that I've told her some of the more mad things that I used to see and feel. The experience of something going wrong inside your body is already hard enough. So it makes sense that Abby would start to feel kind of hopeless as doctors fumbled for an answer to what was wrong with her. After a few years, they started really to pursue the depression angle. And I think I was definitely depressed, but I was depressed because I had an undiagnosed illness that nobody took seriously. There's a long history of doctors seeing women as overreacting when it comes to physical issues or life in general. It's actually where the term hysterical originates from the ancient Greek word hysterikos, which means a suffering in the uterus. When Abby thinks about whether or not this would have happened if she were a boy, she says... A hundred percent no. Because for so long, they told me it was hormonal. They tried to put me on the pill to make it go away. And I think it was ju- it was dismissed as hysteria. I just really wasn't doing the things, I guess, normal, quote-unquote, kind of teens and 20-year-olds were doing. Um, so it was quite isolating. Um, And that kind of meant that I wasn't really in that whole dating scene until quite a lot later. I was sick a lot of the time, I was tired a lot of the time, and I just wasn't even that interested because I just felt so unwell, it just, it wasn't really a priority for me. I wouldn't be kind of out at parties, I wasn't able to drink alcohol, and dating culture, I don't know what it's like everywhere, but in London it's it's very drink-focused. But then one night at a party with her friends, Abby meets a guy who's also not drinking. In fact, they seem to be the only two in the room who are saying no to cocktails, and they bond over that. Well, they bond over more than that. And suddenly, Abby's in the midst of her first romance. But it wasn't easy for a few reasons. One, she was still fighting all these symptoms without much support and without a diagnosis. Two, her new partner wasn't very sympathetic to what she was going through. So it was always out there that this was a thing that was happening to me, but I think he didn't maybe realise how bad it was and what impact that would have on me and, I guess, the relationship in general. And the, the huge problem that arose was that I... The first one, that I was so fatigued that I couldn't do a lot of things, so I wouldn't want to go places, um... And I wasn't able to socialise as much, which is hard on, you know, whoever you're with. Um, And the second thing was that with the problems with my digestion, one of the things that really happened would be I would eat, but I would never not be hungry because my food wasn't being digested properly. So I was always starving and I subsequently gained a lot of weight. And I was so self-conscious because for me it was out of control and I didn't know how to stop it. That was a real problem between us, was that he would make comments and would discourage me from eating, which is obviously not helpful. And it wasn't a good combination of personalities, I don't think. I think we were not the right people for each other. We were both people that probably needed a bit of support for different reasons. And you can't really have two of those people in one relationship, I think. Abby eventually wrote her partner a letter and she read it to him aloud. It was about how she thought it was time for them to go their separate ways. They were both clearly unhappy and she wanted to move forward with her life. She wanted the same thing for him. So they split. And then Abby was solo again, still in Wonderland, trying to figure out what the hell was going on with her body. It wasn't until she started Googling her symptoms, which we all know is a slippery slope, that she finally found a neurologist in London that she thought might be able to help her. 
Remember, Abby hadn't been telling the full truth about her symptoms for a while now, but by this time she was in her mid-20s and she had built up some more confidence. Plus, the doctor was highly recommended. So I kind of plucked up the courage to go in and tell him every single mad thing that was happening. And he just sat there and took the whole thing in, didn't bat an eyelid, which was a nice surprise. And he said, you have a form, a very kind of unusual form of migraine. So whilst you haven't been having headaches, the chemistry in your brain doesn't work properly. And these attacks you're having are your brain being flooded with the wrong kind of chemicals and too much of them. And that's why sometimes you feel like you're having a stroke. And that is why sometimes you feel like you are going to faint and sometimes you do. That's why sometimes I can smell electrical burning that's not there because it's, it's an activated like a olfactory pathway in my nose wrongly for some bizarre reason sometimes I can smell lemon cake um and I I remained calm and he told me various treatments we could do various diets lifestyle things but after that initial appointment I came out of that office and I sobbed like I hadn't I don't think I had realized how much I had stored the stress up for so long and there was a, a man working on a building site opposite and he, from his perspective, all he saw was a girl come out of a hospital and collapse onto the floor crying. And I had to try and tell him it was happy tears because he looked so concerned. <laughs> it was such a relief to finally have somebody believe what happened but also know what that was and not think it was weird and have, a, and have an answer for every single symptom. It was a good day. And so Abby finally gets to leave Wonderland. Not that the symptoms are totally gone for good, but having a name for them has really helped Abby gain control over her health and her dating life. Instead of being nervous about telling people what's going on with her body, she can own it now. Naming her illness is something she's been trying to do for years now, so finally having something to call it has helped her move on a bit. And when she has time, she's playing the field. Yeah, I kind of, it doesn't feel like such a big deal anymore. And I think it's a combination of, like you say, having a name for it, being upfront about it, whatever that means, whether that's first date or whether that's a few dates in, and me accepting it a bit more. So now I just, I treat it as as just like another thing about me. And like, there's some cool stuff. So <laughs> I found out the other day that women that used to have my illness back in the Victorian times, they would have been put into Bedlam, which was like the lunatic asylum. I found out that it used to be called floating woman's disease. So like, I just now consider it like a fun quirk. And like, some of the symptoms are quite funny. Like, you know, look in the mirror, see a massive head. That's weird. Like, it's just like another aspect of, it's just who I am. You tell people that and they're genuinely interested because what a weird thing to have wrong with you. And so instead of hiding it, I'm just like, yeah, like, like listen to this mad stuff that happens. And it can be quite a good conversation starter, you know? <laughs> Before we go, I want to tell you about Pandia Health. With Pandia Health, you'll never run out of birth control again because you can skip the trip to the pharmacy each month. They deliver. Whether you're on the pill, the patch, or the ring, Pandia Health has an option for you. And as a little added bonus, Pandia Health is the only women-founded and women-led reproductive health company specializing in birth control delivery. Enter code UREVOLUTION for $5 off your next order. That's the letter U, REVOLUTION, for $5 off. Sex Like This is an Uncomfortable Revolution podcast hosted and produced by me, Nicole Edwards. 
please get in touch if you want to share your story. You can email podcast at urevolution.com or head over to our website, sexlikethis.com, for more amazing stories about dating and sex with a chronic illness or disability.